Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. As a matter of fact, it changes them so much at that point. So much, because again, now there is truth and proof of the resurrection. The truth and the proof of the resurrection changed those men as well as those women's lives. Yes, 50 days later, again, the coming of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit within their lives to equip and to empower them. But the reality and the truth of the resurrection is what made that all possible. Pastor David insists that you must not forget the gospel event that confirmed our faith and gave us the power over sin and death. As believer, we owe our faith to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was resurrected, the disciples and first believers were lifted out of their despair, having seen the Son of God die on the cross. The story of God's reconciliation continued through them as the resurrection empowered the first believers and can empower us today. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, The Gospel and the Resurrection. begins there with, the, again, the fact that he, that Cephas, that Simon Peter had seen the Lord there on his own. Again, as he then later appeared to the disciples. Remember this, the story in the Gospels. The disciples hiding away because of fear of the Jews and fear of the Romans. And then suddenly Jesus appears in the room. And man, all, all the doors were, were locked. All, all the windows were battened down. I mean, they, they had the place tighten up as tight as they could. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears there before him. Can you imagine just the, just the appearance of that? Just the, the process of all of that. You as his disciple, you had been with him for three and a half years. Just three days ago, you saw him being arrested, put on trial, and nailed on a cross. Three days ago, you saw him taken off of that cross, put into a tomb because he was dead. Not mostly dead, he was completely dead. They put him in that tomb, and as far as you know, it's all over. It's all over. Everything you had hoped in, everything you had dreamed for, everything you thought was going to happen, it's all over. Because remember, no matter how many times he had shared it with them, as they walked and as they traveled, the disciples did not get it. So there they are, there in the upper room. And suddenly Jesus appears before them. That's got to blow them away. I mean, totally, totally blow them away. As a matter of fact, it changes them so much at that point. So much because, again, now there is truth and proof of 
the resurrection. The truth and the proof of the resurrection changed those men as well as those women's lives. Yes, 50 days later, again, the coming of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit within their lives to equip and to empower them. But the reality and the truth of the resurrection is what made that all possible. And now Paul, as as, as a good defense attorney before the world court of skepticism, he places over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And again, at the time of his writing, as Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, this is like 20 years later. And 20 years later, a great portion of those still remained alive. They were still able to testify to the truth. Paul wasn't just throwing something out that no one had any proof of. He said, no, there's, there's about 500 that saw him all. Most of them are still alive, though some have passed away although it would have been well known at this time. Where and and when this audience was, this 500 people, uh, for us right now, it's pretty much just kind of a a speculation. When and where did that 500 happen? One Bible commentator, uh, Albert Barnes, he kind of gives us a hint found in Matthew 28.10 that throws a little bit of light on it. it. Speaks about that after his resurrection, Jesus said to the women who were at the sepulcher, go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there they shall see me. And then a little bit later in Matthew 28, 16, he goes, he goes on to say that the 11 then went on up to Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Barnes goes on to say that Jesus had spent most of his public life in Galilee. He had met most of his disciples there. It was proper, therefore, that those disciples who would, of course, hear of his death should have some public confirmation of the fact that he was arisen. It's very probable also that the 11 who went down into Galilee after he arose would apprise the brethren of why they were there and of what he had said to them, that Jesus would meet them on a certain mountain. And it's morally certain that they who had followed him in so great numbers in Galilee would be drawn together by the report that the Lord Jesus, who had been put to death, is about to be seen there again alive. What Barnes is saying is, Jesus had told his disciples, hey, or he had told the women to go tell the disciples, go on up to Galilee, to the mountain there that we had been at before, and I'll meet them there. And so as the disciples go out, I don't know about you, but if, if I've already seen the Lord risen in the upper room, and now I hear he's telling me, man, go, go up to Galilee, to the mountain there. I'm gonna meet you there. I'm gonna beat feet. I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna be there wherever Jesus says I needed to be. And on my way, I'm gonna be seeing people that I know that have been following, that have been part of the masses, part of the crowds. that are there. Maybe it's part of my family, some of my friends, some of my neighbors who had seen Jesus, who had been ministered to by Jesus when he was up in the Galilean area. And I'd be sharing that truth. Again, the power of the resurrection, the excitement of the resurrection. I've seen the Lord. He is alive. He is alive. Come, we're going to see him up there. He promised to meet us up there. So it says at another place, 500 people all at one time met him. Since Paul lays out this fact that Jesus had personally appeared not only to individuals, but also to groups of people, 
as well as of masses of people at various locations, at various occasions, and at various times. Again, the proof of the resurrection just builds and builds and builds. There's no way possible it could have been mass hallucinations. It couldn't have been simply visions or or dreams of of individuals, as, as some try to claim. Paul writes down these things, and he says, the very proof of the eyewitness testimony would stand against any court of doubt. The best witness that you have in court is somebody who was right there. And when they say, I saw him standing, I saw him walking, I saw him speaking to us there. He ate with us there on the shoreline. He spoke to us. He instructed us along the way. All of these things, not just one, not just five, not just the disciples, but now 500 as well as multiples of others. The testimony continues to grow. The proof continues to be laid out again for a skeptical world and in particular for a church in Corinth that for some reason was having a real difficulty understanding the reality and the truth of the resurrection. So the demonstration of all of this the thing that Paul is speaking about, trying to confirm to them, that if the resurrection of Jesus were a fable, if it was a lie, if it was some kind of desperate trickery that the disciples had kind of all schemed and planned together, it would have been shut down from the very beginning. But due to the overwhelming evidence of those who saw him firsthand, the truth continued to be declared. If they had lied about this, if they had tried trickery or deceit, the Romans would have been right on top of it. If they had, had uh, again, made up a story that he was alive, now the, the Jewish leaders would have been right at it. But because there truly was an empty tomb, there was not a body to be found, but the living, risen Savior showed himself, spoke with So many, again, the proof continues to be there. The demonstration of the power of the resurrection was also seen in the boldness of the disciples. These are the guys that ran. These are the guys that hid. These are the guys that sent the women to the tomb first, not the guys. These are the guys bolted down in that upper room, afraid of everything. And now they're the ones that are going about boldly declaring that, no, he's not dead He's risen. He's risen from the grave. Again, they hid during his arrest. They hid during his crucifixion, but yet they were strengthened and they were encouraged again by the evidence of the resurrection and then shortly thereafter by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You don't lay down your life for a known lie. If you know it's a lie, you're not gonna lay your life on the line. But because They knew that the tomb was empty. They continued to declare, continued to proclaim. This ragtag group of fishermen, this group of zealots, a few tax collectors, as well as women, they weren't gonna be able to hide the truth. They weren't gonna be able to hide the body well enough to be able to fool, to be able to defeat the efforts of the entire Roman army, to to be able to pull pull something over on the Jewish leadership. No, no. It really and truly happened. Paul even brings out the name of James. The James saw the Lord. Now that's not uh, the son of Zebedee, the, the brother of John, one of the 12. 
No, this is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the author of the book of James that's in our New Testament. Up until that time, up until the time of the resurrection, James had not been a follower of Jesus at all. As a matter of fact, he was a pretty big skeptic of Jesus. You remember the gospel accounts where Jesus is there teaching in the synagogue, and they come up to him and say, hey, master, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to come and take you. And he explains in the other gospel records that they literally thought that he was out of his mind. And they were, he, he had this Messiah complex. No, he doesn't have a Messiah complex. He is the Messiah. But yet his family just could not pull that together. James was one of those that doubted him and doubted him and doubted him. But now that the Lord has risen from the dead, he also saw and spoke with James. And we see James not only as a writer of one of the letters of our New Testament, but also James is one of the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. We go to Acts chapter 15, we see the Jerusalem council there. And one of the main spokesmen during that time is James, the half-brother of the Lord. We know it's that James because James the apostle, James the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, he was killed early on uh, in the in the earlier chapters of the book of Acts. But now in Acts 15, James, the half-brother of the Lord, is there and he's declaring, again, because of the boldness of his faith, because he, though he was a skeptic during the ministry of Jesus, once the resurrection took place, it changed James completely. It empowered him. Again, James, he too became a believer because Jesus showed himself to him. Jesus was resurrected from the dead And there were sufficient witnesses there to be able to state and to be able to uphold the truth. Paul fully lays out his defense. And then after laying out the public case, now he makes it really personal. Look what he says in verse eight. He says, and then last of all, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least, of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, and yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul says, least of all, he was seen by me also. Paul had that opportunity actually to see the risen Christ. He says, well, when was that? Was he there in the upper room? Oh, no, no. Paul was still a hater of the Christians at that time. Uh, He was still one of the Pharisees. Well, maybe it was up in Galilee when the 500, oh, no, no. Paul was against the Christians. As a matter of fact, for quite a while, Paul was moving against the Christians. And we read in the book of Acts how Paul, in a process of persecution, against the Christians, was headed up to Damascus with a note from the chief priest for this very thing, to arrest, to imprison, and perhaps even to kill some who were Christ followers. And it was on that road to Damascus 
that he had that face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus knocked him off his high horse, you know, and, you know, he's, he's going on up there, and suddenly, he, because of the brightness of the light, he's knocked off of the horse, and as he comes to, the Lord Jesus even speaking to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And I love that in the fact that Paul was persecuting Christians, But Jesus takes it very personal when you and I go into persecution. When people come against us for the faith, Jesus takes that very personal. And again, just as he tells Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecuted. That face-to-face encounter changed changed Saul of Tarsus. And he became then the Apostle Paul. The Lord put him into ministry at that point. Again, as he told Ananias to go up there and speak to him and because I've got great things for this guy. I've got a lot of stuff I'm gonna be doing through this guy. Well, Ananias says, well, Lord, no, you don't want me to go up there. That's the guy that persecutes. I, don't send me, send, send my brother, send somebody else. Don't send me. But yet the Lord says, no, you go up there. Why? Because I have great plans in the future for this guy in ministry. So the one who became a persecutor, he saw the Lord himself even in this. And he says, I was one born out of due time. That whole statement of being born out of due time, that's a personal declaration, I believe, of what Paul felt as his unworthiness, really, of being an apostle. I don't think it had much to do as far as the timing of his apostleship as much as it did with the fact that he was even called to be an apostle. Paul understood what his background was. Paul understood the, 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 the prejudice, the hatred that he had for Christians and even for Christ. And I believe through all of Paul's life, even as strongly as the Lord used him, there was a humbleness about Paul Again, in being called the way that he was called, the Greek word uh, ektromati, that's only used here in the New Testament. And it's the actual interpretation of it is an aborted fetus or a miscarriage. Paul says, that's what I was. That's what I was. Paul uses, again, that specific word, again, I believe because he continued to hold on to the fact that he had been such a destructive factor to the church in those earlier years. I believe he fully recognized that he had not been with Jesus during those earlier years like the other apostles. He had missed all of that. And yet God is still going to use him. That's why he states in verse nine, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Who, I, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, the church of God. Think about this for a moment. Of all that Paul, at this point in time, of who he was, the impact that he was already making, we'll look at that in a moment. In the midst of all of this, Paul still had within his heart the sorrow of all that he had done before against the church, against the bride of Christ, and against God and his kingdom. I don't think that it was something that, that, that limited him, but as I said before, I believe it was something that very much made the man very humble, again, to the point 
Now he is actually the minister to the Gentiles, the absolute outcasts, the ones that the Jews would have nothing to do. And yet now that's the very ministry that Paul has in his life. One of the things we know, Paul believed, and I believe it's very clear here, Paul believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was using him not because of who he was, but actually in spite of who he was. I tell you what, I think for every one of us, that ought to be a clear understanding. The Lord called me to his kingdom. The Lord called me to himself because of who I, no, 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 no. In spite of who you are. Wow, the Lord used me really great the other day because I was able to, no. In spite of who you are. In spite of who we are. God takes these cracked, these chipped, these broken, these stained vessels and uses them for his glory. What are we going to boast in, gang? Our high intelligence, our great ability. What is it do we ha- that we have that God hasn't given us? And how many times have we failed in the midst of it all? Or is that just me and my boat? No. I think every one of us can understand. Man, if if it's not for the Lord, we, we would literally be nothing. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, and yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You might look at that and say, well, he's saying he labored more abundantly than they all. Well, he's got this real mind trip going on. No, you need to understand in the context, he's just stating the fact, no. Number one, I was so far behind everybody else. I had to really run and catch up. They had been three and a half years with the Lord Jesus. I had been against the Lord for all of those years. The times that he had to go and spend, again, just out in the desert on his own, growing and learning. The years that he spent in preparation of ministry long before God could use him on the missionary journeys. Again, man, I labored more abundantly than they all. Those guys were living their life in a normal course of life. Jesus came and says, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Matthew, leave your tax table. Come and follow me. As he called all these different ones to himself, they came and they followed Jesus. And for three and a half years, they were able to walk beside Jesus, hear and listen to the teachings of Jesus, watch how Jesus ministered to people. They were given opportunity and empowerment by Jesus to go and minister to the people on their own during the time of the ministry of Jesus. Paul didn't have any of that. He he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He hated Christians. He hated Christ. And now so much he had to pick up on before he could really and truly be fully used. And he said, man, it's only by the grace of God. It was only by the grace of God even when he makes that remark, labored more abundantly than them all. It's not a braggart that's declaring his ability. I feel it's because he personally felt he had to make up so much. But still here, Paul declares, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God working in and through him. But isn't that true for every one of us? Every one of us have that that same situation. 
We can, we can do all that we think that we are, we're able to do. We can do all that we think we're able to do. And yet, unless it's the grace of God working within us, we're not going to be anywhere usable for God. Anywhere. so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word.